Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on Dr. Adam Naylor who is a doctor of sports psychology and what a conversation we had with him. Adam lives in the Boston area. He is the lead consultant at TELUS Sports Psychology Coaching, TELUS SPC. He's also a mental game consultant and works a lot with Northeastern University. Fantastic talk with him. But before we do get over to Dr. Adam Naylor, let's bring on another fantastic guy in Jeffrey Lavecchio, the talent of the podcast. Vex, what's going on here today, man? It's a beautiful day in St. Louis, and I just crushed some lentil soup, some ground beef, and a vegetable smoothie. I'm ready to go. Let's hit it. <laughs> nice. That's pretty good, yeah. man. It's a good meal. I know. It's almost yeah. like I know what I'm doing. It's, so we get right into it here with, with Adam. He's an awesome guy. So um, I met Adam doing uh, a bunch of USA Hockey Coaching Certification Clinics that I'm sure a lot of you have been to that are listening to this podcast. And uh, it was funny, and I say this at the beginning of the podcast, kind of made him a little uncomfortable. But uh, so him and I, they did the thing where they put a bunch of different people in a bunch of different rooms. And then the speakers who were there um, you know, they would go room to room with like 10, 15 minutes in each room, just asking, answering questions and, and all that kind of stuff. And I got paired with Adam and I literally, I found myself as he was talking, I was just like in awe. He's so smart and he has such a way, and I'm sure you felt this on the podcast too. He's such, he has such a way to like relate things where you understand it and you can like apply it to your own life, which if you're in the sports psychology field is a very good skill to have. <laughs> so um, just a really, really cool guy. And it was so fun to get him on the episode. We got pretty deep on a lot of different things and, and I really enjoyed this one. How about you? I mean, totally. I, I love what you just said. Like he finds a way to relate things. And I, and I totally found that to be true with him. Um, and then on top of that, like we started talking about like external cueing. So like for anyone who doesn't know, like internal cueing versus external cueing, external if i'm if i'm trying to get you to do a push-up and i'm like engage your 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 rectus abdominis and as you go down squeeze your pectoralis major minor like people be like what but if i was like push the ground away from you as you lower yourself keep your body rigid like that's external cueing that makes more sense and mike boyle we've had on this podcast one of his big things is like i have to say things in a way that you understand them like, it doesn't matter if I'm the smartest guy in the room. If I'm using all these big words and one person understands me, but I'm talking to a hundred, it doesn't matter. And he talked to us in a way so easy for us to, to understand and to relate to. So that's ma- like right away. Like, I like the guy just for, for doing that. I mean, obviously, like you said, people have to understand what he's trying to help them with. So very cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. And we get, uh, we get into a lot of different really cool subjects and it wasn't necessarily so much of like, um, kind of like an individual, what should you do to be a great player type of talk? It was more of like a, I want to say like a macro kind of what's important and how to go about being your best self from an individual standpoint within the circumstances and parameters that you're in. And, uh, like he just, he puts such a good, spin on things that really like i said it just you relate to it you understand it uh uses a lot of metaphors um to to kind of 
make his point and things like that. And so I, I just, I feel like I got a lot out of it that I can even use in my own life. Um, because at the end of the day, like productivity and, and fulfillment, I mean, you don't have to play sports to, to do those two things or have those two things. And uh, like, I took a lot of notes <laughs> as we talked about, and uh, it was just a really fun conversation for sure. Yeah, he had some great, uh, not one-liners, but uh, not sayings, but like he had some good mantras, I guess you want to say, that you'll hear in the podcast that, uh, you know, I wrote them down on my phone and I, I actually like used it when I was talking to one of my clients today. Like, and that's what I love is we bring on people that immediately make us better. We immediately learn from and then we can immediately apply. And he was, you said you broke, he broke it down so easily and he used metaphors and he said all these things where it was super easy to then for me to apply it in my both as you know a coach a mentor a strength coach a business owner like you said I think a lot of people are going to get uh, a lot of stuff out of this one that might not necessarily be like you know how do I take a snapshot it's definitely a more of a 10,000 foot approach versus the daily grind approach and you know we're always talking about perspective and all these things like you got to have you know visuals from the day-to-day approach from 100 feet up from 500 feet up from 10,000 feet up and yeah this was a really good one being higher up and being able to look down and kind of break things down to, to easy just even the one he said about enjoyment versus uh fun like that was really interesting yeah. that was yeah. that was super super interesting and very relative uh to what I do in the gym with guys so I like that yeah and one of the other things that I thought was really we we talked a lot about it is the preaching versus the teaching and how so many people are preaching almost to kind of like hear themselves talk and seem smart versus actually teaching. And it goes back to just what his strengths are, his strengths. And he taught us and we'll teach our listeners on this episode rather than just preaching a message and just like expecting you to, to understand it or get it or whatever. Um, the, the preaching versus teaching was another thing that I really took out of it too. Yeah. I mean, that was massive. And I think anyone that coaches or teaches, obviously we're not all perfect all time. Like you're, you're going to have those, those times when you, you know, if you reflect on the message you were sending to the, to the locker room or to the team on the ice or during a game and you kind of, Oh, was I preaching or was I teaching there? You know, and it's, it's really interesting. And it definitely got me thinking about just approaching things. And, and to add on to that, something I've learned from doing this podcast is learning to shut my mouth more. I mean, I, I just like talking. I like, you know, it just comes out of me. I'm open, but like being able to, in a teaching aspect, instead of just saying like, do this, do this, do this. He brought in like, well, let them try, let them figure it out themselves, let them fail and teach along with that. Instead of just like hammering them, do this, do this, do this, do this, which we talk about, but you know, I think I could do a better job of that in my life outside of coaching hockey. So that was, that was good for me to hear. I definitely like that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I don't want to get too much into a lot of it because he says it a lot better than I or you ever do. <laughs> um, but one of the things that uh, I, I was kind of reflecting, you know, on, on my own career, my own life right now. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and we didn't really get into it with Adam, is I feel like, you know, and I actually asked this to Brad Berry and to Mike Schaefer when I had them on my YouTube 10 questions, what holds you back? I asked them, what holds kids back today? So if you can like reflect on your own life, you know, from, reaching your potential, what do you think in, in your career or even you right now, what, what do you think holds you back from being your very best you? That's a phenomenal question. Are you, you actually know? asking me right I'm now? I'm actually you asking you that. Well, I would say in my career, I mean, go back to my hockey career. Like I focused so much 
on the gym and not enough on skill stuff in the, in the off seasons. I think that everyone said to me, you're so skinny, you're so skinny, you're so weak. Like you can't play at the next level. Yeah. Yeah. That I was just like the gym, ah," you know, and I worked on my skills all growing up. And then I kind of like, didn't do it as much until like the end of summer, right before the season was starting. And you and I always talk about like, I, 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 I'm glad I wasn't on the ice three, four times a week in April, but like I could have been on the ice once a week. And then as the season got closer and closer, you know, maybe do that or, or watch, I could have watched more video a hundred percent. I could have watched more hockey just growing up. I mean, that would have helped me. No doubt in my mind, those two things right there would have made me a better player. No doubt in my mind. How about you? Do you think, well, let me, let me unpack this a little bit more. Do you think. Unpack it, baby. Because <laughs> you think we had a sports psych guy on, so um, do you think that the the part, the first part of what you said, how everybody told me that I was too skinny, too skinny, too skinny, were you somebody that like really cared what other people thought too? Like was well, that? I, that was. I was definitely well. I was definitely like self conscious in in life about being a, a skinnier person. You know, like I'm. I always I didn't like that people like made fun of me. And it was like family, like our whole used to rip on me and like they thought it was funny and I look back and I'm like you know sometimes I want to knock you all out uh but that's what families do um but in hockey it was just like you don't have good balance like so you must be weak and you, you know like you're not strong enough or you can't play this game at the next level unless you get heavier unless you get stronger so like it wasn't that in hockey it wasn't I'm self-conscious it was oh these are the people telling me what I need to work on so I just only worked on not only, but I, I put so much focus on that. And it was like NHL coaches and NHL assistant coaches, NHL scouts, even in college work on this. You need to get stronger. You need to get heavier, you know? And I, I looking back, I just think they were using the wrong verbiage. Uh, you know, they, or they, they shouldn't have been the ones telling me it should have been an NHL strength coach. Like NHL teams should have their strength coach, watch a video with them for a guy that they really want to sign and maybe be like, Ooh, you know what this he's doing this here. And it's probably because of this. Like they were just like, ah, you know, you weighed 200 or 195. You can't be strong enough to play that game. It's like, well, I'm already stronger than everyone on your roster. Like that's not it. It was, it was, I was doing the wrong types of strength. I was lifting like a weightlifter, not like an athlete, you know? So, so that's part of like the importance of it too, is like, maybe that was preaching instead of teaching. Cause I was just taking it as, oh my God, like, this is what I need to do. So I'm just going to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, uh, you know, you think back about maybe things you would have done differently or different mindsets you would have had, you know, like had, uh, had things gone differently and had you gone through. And it's uh, like, I think, I think about it all the time for, for me, I was very, very sensitive to external, what other people thought always all the time. And when you're a little bit of perfectionist, like I am as well, that can be a, a tough thing. You know, so I got very hard on myself a lot of times and I get sensitive to criticism at times too. Um, cause you're trying so hard, you, you want it so bad. And, and then, you know, somebody tells you, and it's, it's interesting too, because like sometimes a weakness can be a strength. Cause I feel like that, um, that sensitivity to criticism drove me too. like it, like people always telling me that I was too small, people always telling me that I wasn't going to make it like that, that drove me but it also was a weakness in the fact that sometimes I couldn't get over it. I would yeah. be so mad and so upset at, at certain things that people would say or certain things that people would do or certain ways that people, um, that I thought people would think about me. And it, it, uh, 
you know, it, it hindered my development a little bit as well in getting to where I wanted to go. So, and I, I feel like it's maybe the same kind of with your story It's part of that people under, not underestimating you, but part of those people giving you crap, it, it, you wouldn't be as big and strong for sure had that not happened. But at the end of the day too, like there was a little bit of a negative side to it that, that hindered where you were going, you know? So finding that balance is, is, uh, is a huge piece to, and just being okay with who you are. I think not, not really carrying, like using that as motivation to, to get better, but also understanding that what other people say, that's their own, that's their own viewpoints. This shouldn't be anything regarding you. A hundred percent. I mean, I totally agree. Like, yeah, of course people saying, Oh, I'll never make it. Cause he's, cause he's not tall. Like that forced you to work harder. People telling me I won't make it cause I'm not strong enough. That forced me to love the gym. But yeah, I think, I think maybe comes down to maybe not that we had bad mentors by no means, you know, we obviously did well for ourselves, but like maybe if we had mentors who understood the whole picture a little more like that 10,000 foot, like maybe even, maybe even a guy like him talking about, you know, approaching it from up here and, and, and unpacking things, like you said, like maybe that could have helped us and sports psychologists, they weren't a thing back in the day. You know, it would have been nice to have been able to talk to talk to them, you know, when we were 17, 18 and all of a sudden you're starting to feel the pressure and, I got, you know, I want to get a scholarship. My parents spent so much money on hockey. Like I want to help them out and like things like that, you know, it's, it would definitely be very nice to have been able to talk to somebody like him. Yeah. It still would be nice to talk to somebody like him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So moving on, we obviously want to get to Adam here, but Jeff and I had a couple congrats. Um, obviously it's a USHL draft this week, big week for, uh, for kids here. And, and I do want to preface this. It's funny. You know, I, as a former college coach, like if I'm being completely honest, I think these drafts don't mean anything, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, they, they mean just, more now than they did when we played though. Yeah. Yeah. But you still got it. You know, like you still got to make the team, you got to make the team and the amount of kids that get drafted that don't make teams. I mean, it's, it's a lot you still got to make the team. You still got to get better because at the end of the day, if you don't make the team this year, which most of the kids don't, especially in the phase one draft, the younger kids, like there's another draft next year and they'll find other other people that are better if you don't get any better, you know? Um, so, I, but at the same time, it is cool. Like it is a cool thing to, to get recognized. Um, obviously like, I'm on Facebook a little bit more because I'm doing more from uh, from a content standpoint with the hockey think tank on Facebook. And so like the parents, Oh my God, do they go crazy? And I was talking to, who was I talking to about this? So like, we always, we always talk about the kids and the comparative culture on face or on like social media. Oh, it is the same for the parents. A hundred percent. It is the same for the parents. And, yeah. and, and look like it's, it's a great thing to be proud of your kids and to put it up on social media. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but, and I don't think there's anything wrong with the kids, you know, on social media saying, Hey, I got drafted or, Hey, I made this team or that team or whatever. Maybe I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but what it does is it perpetuates this machine where other kids see that. And then they feel less than, because, you know, they might think they're better than that kid, but at the same time, they didn't get drafted or they didn't make the team or they, or get that commitment or whatever. I feel like it's the same thing with the parents, dude, because whenever a kid does something really well, it's going right up for everybody to see. And I have to imagine that other parents and maybe email me if you feel this way, because I'm really interested in it. Other parents who see that stuff and maybe their kids not getting drafted or not getting the accolades, like if that for them is like a sense of, you know, 
disappointment or, you know, they feel a little bit lesser because they're, you know what I mean? I mean, a hundred percent, like there's no doubt about it. That's. We always talk about it from a kid's standpoint, but like I've been been on Facebook a little bit more over the past like couple of months or so. And, and what I see the kids posting is the exact same stuff that the parents are posting. And so I feel like there's, it, it, it has to be the same way. Yeah. I mean, just think about spend so much time, so much energy, so much money. Like they're in, they're invested just as much as, as the kids are. I mean, there's no doubt about that. It's just how I struggle with it because like, you should be proud. You should be proud that you got drafted. And, and our job is to let them know, like, like I tell all my guys, enjoy it the rest of today. And then tomorrow it's back to work because you have to go and make the team out of camp. You have to like this, this is nice, but it really doesn't mean anything. Right. You know, you're not signing on the dotted line today because you got drafted. Like it is awesome. And I'm very proud of all of you. Anyone who got it, it's very cool. But the sun comes up tomorrow and you still got to perform. You still got to produce. You still got to do well. Um, yeah, it's hard with the parents, you know, because the ones who are just happy for their kids, like that's awesome. But then there's, there's other ones who are doing it for the wrong reasons, doing it for the right reasons. I don't know. Social media is a catch too. <laughs> It, it's it's, it's really it's the catch twenty two right because like yeah. I said I don't think there's anything wrong with posting you know no. I don't see it as bragging I'm no. sure I'm sure some people are but I, I don't really see it as a negative thing but what what comes with that is this you know this comparative culture where you know this kid's getting this but my kid's not and he's better and it just it's this whole crazy thing that it, it's I don't know it's tough but anyway so. Um, we, I, I had a few guys to congratulate. I'm sure you do too, Vex. So Aiden Dubinsky, um, Steve Dubinsky is, uh, is a friend of mine. So his kid got drafted in the second round of Omaha where Jeffrey Lavecchio played his junior hockey. Hey-o. Uh, Drew Deladonna, a kid from right around here, played at Selects Academy last year, got drafted to Cedar Rapids. Uh, Jack Henry, uh, is a kid from right here in Skinny Atlas, who, uh, I coached, uh, on the high school team, uh, a couple years ago. Uh, really good kid. Uh, he got drafted in the fourth round to Fargo. Uh, and then Mikey D'Angelo got drafted the seventh round to Dubuque. Uh, and he actually attended our hockey think tank conference last year in Chicago. So pretty cool stuff. Pretty That's cool stuff. unreal. Yeah. gets drafted by Dubuque who general manager there, Callie Larson. Uh, great, great guy. Was actually USHL GM of the year this year. Uh, does a really good job there in Dubuque. Uh, and then today, actually the, as we're, uh, recording this, the phase two draft is going on. Uh, Brett Bliss got drafted in the third round to Muskegon, and uh, I coached his uh, his big brother Ryan at Cornell. And Brett was just a wee little thing <laughs> during during that time. It was years ago, um, but seeing him uh, get drafted, pretty cool thing. And then Blake Humphrey, uh, who I coached uh, up in Rochester uh, a couple years back, uh, really really good hockey player, smart hockey player, got drafted in the fourth round to uh, Sioux Falls. He was at Lawrence Academy this year, prep school. So uh, for me, those are the guys that I know. I'm sure there's going to be people getting drafted a little bit later in the phase two was as this is going on. So uh, congratulations to, to those, those kids and those families, but I put it with an asterisk. I, I, I have to, it's just, <laughs> I put it with an asterisk because the journey has just begun. It's a cool accolade for today. Like you said, Bex, but uh, the real work, it, it still continues to go. Yeah, man. That's so awesome. And, you know, maybe it's a good way to, to teach and not preach. Like, everything you did leading up to today got you drafted is why you're there. Everything tomorrow forward is, is where you're going. Like, great. You got noticed. That's basically what you got noticed and you've done well up to today. 
now tomorrow, now it starts, you know? So I would even argue too, that, you know, it's your talent and your work ethic, I would say that gets you drafted. And I would say the younger you are with the accolades that you get like this, the more it's based on talent, the older you are and the accolades that you get like further down the road, I think the talent kind of levels out a little bit and it's more based on your work ethic. If does it, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? So so keep that work ethic going. That's taking nothing, obviously taking nothing away. All these kids have worked really hard. All these families have sacrificed so much, but there's so much more to the journey to, to go. Um, and just keep, keep that foot on the pedal. hundred percent, man. Totally. Love that. You guys had a couple kids from your U16 team that got drafted too, didn't you? Yeah, buddy. There's there's five kids from St. Louis that have been drafted so far. Three yesterday, one so far today at the time of this recording, um, we had Jack Larrigan, uh, Tyler Catalano, Ben Barons, Mario DiMaggio, and then, uh, Patrick Johnson, uh, got drafted today in the phase two, cause he's older. So yeah, re- really exciting. And you know, all, all five of those guys that got drafted from St. Louis, they all train with the same trainer. So that's pretty badass. <laughs> I don't know who that guy is, but he's decently looking and he's missing a tooth. Talk about boasting. Jeez. <laughs> no, it, hey, it is not about me. I'm just fortunate I that I get a lot of the good players. They, they want to work. I know. Um, other things too, before we do get over to Adam, I feel like this has been going on for a while. Um, but uh, we actually um, rebranded our premium content subscription and we made a lot of improvement for our premium content subscription. All of our, we're calling it the vault now. It's the vault. All of our videos um, that we've had from our conference, uh, we have uh, videos we do a drill share. So I actually got over 20 Division One coaches to write their favorite drill and put it up on video. So that's on there. That's um, sick. Yeah, we have access to live webinars with our hockey think tank team, Alyssa Gillard we've had on the podcast brian kane we've had on the podcast uh, mike garman who's a goalie coach with steel is unreal and then uh, we just picked up uh, mike mcginnis who works for hockey alberta out in western canada uh, so he's going to be doing webinars with us as well so you get live webinars and then we archive them and put them in the vault uh, we also do some whiteboard sessions and some skill sessions and things like that so a lot a lot of really cool uh, information and, and hockey development content on there it's at access.thehockeythinktank.com and we actually slash the price in half so we slashed the price in half it used to be 199 bucks for the year now it's uh, 99 bucks for the year so we understand that it's tough times for people now um, you know with COVID happening a lot of people getting laid off a lot of furloughs a lot of people at home kind of anxious and wondering what's going to happen so we want to do our part for everybody and, and so we slashed our price in half uh, for that for individuals and we also have a really 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 awesome team discount so if you want your organization to equip all of your coaches with uh, some awesome coaching education content it's literally two bucks a month for the year for each coach <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah. So go to access.thehockeythinktank.com and check it out. And uh, we just want to continue to do what we can to help serve the, the hockey community, players, coaches, and parents. And uh, we're really excited about it and making it more accessible. The new website is, is a lot more user-friendly, um, and we're really excited about it. Very cool, man. You're going to help a ton of people get smarter with <laughs> hockey. Unbelievable. Right. Hopefully, hopefully. So, uh, and then obviously thank you to our title sponsor, gel sticks. Uh, they've been awesome along the way, continue to support our podcast. Uh, thank you to train heroic, which, uh, Jeff, 
his training app is on train heroic. And uh, again, I've used it. It's, uh, it's so clean for like people that aren't tech savvy, man. Like it's just like the easiest thing. And you did such a good job with your videos and making it so streamlined and easy for anybody. Like, honestly, it's not even just hockey players that should use it. It's anybody should use it. And they're great workouts. Um, your shirt is on, I believe for all the videos. So they are. Hey, that was a point of debate with me and some other people. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to keep it classy, San Diego, and I'm going to keep the tarp on. There you go. There you go. And then finally, uh, again, thank you to everybody who, uh, who supports our podcast and continues to listen every week. You know, I, I've, I've read a lot of different stuff about how a lot of people are not listening to as many podcasts now because they're not in the car driving to work or hockey or whatever it may be. But our, our numbers continue to go up, man. They continue to go up. And uh, I think we have our guests to thank for that. I think 100%. we're very fortunate to bring on some really smart, really passionate people in hockey, not in hockey, whatever it may be. Um, but then also we have an awesome and passionate following of, of listeners that just, they love the game and we love you for loving the game. And uh, we appreciate your support so much. And you guys are going to absolutely love this conversation with uh, Dr. Adam Naylor, sports psychologist, so without further ado, here we go with Adam Naylor. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, all the way from the great city of Boston, Massachusetts, Dr. Adam Naylor. Adam, how are we doing today? Doing tremendous, Topher. Thanks so much for having me on. This should be fun. Absolutely. So Vex, Adam and I got to know each other from doing uh, a bunch of the USA hockey coaching education clinics. And, uh, it, he made me, he made me like, kind of like look bad because we, we got, uh, <laughs> I'm going to make you blush a little bit. Wow. So we got paired up. So they had us like going to eat like a bunch of different rooms. Right. So two of the people got paired up and like, I, I found myself just absolutely fascinated with everything that Adam was saying. And I just be like googly eyes at him as he was kind of talking and just giving these coaches so much good knowledge that all of a sudden, like I, it would be my turn. And I'd be like, no, I'm good. I think you should just listen to him. <laughs> so, That's awesome. That's different awesome. Different pieces to the story. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I'm so excited to have you on to share some of your ism, wisdom and experiences with, with our listeners. And, um, you know, what we kind of like to do to start off each episode is, is to kind of take it back and uh, to ask you how you got involved with the game of hockey. And, uh, you know, you are a Boston guy. I don't know if you've always been a Boston guy, but how did you get involved in, uh, in the great sport of hockey? Oh God, how did I get involved in hockey? So now you're, you're letting the dirty secret out here for God's sakes. And my family finds this hilarious. I'd kill myself on skates. Let's just <laughs> throw really? that out there. I would absolutely kill myself. <laughs> and, and ironically at this stage of my career in life, I might not be any more comfortable than I am behind the scenes at a hockey game or at a hockey practice. So that's just completely hilarious. So let's just start there that <laughs> a lot of people at this stage of my life know me as the hockey guy. I'm very proud to wear that label. I'm proud that most of my best friends and collaborators are hockey people, but I, it was the only sport I didn't play growing up for God's sakes. I, there is a picture of me wearing a t-shirt that says future Philadelphia flyer flying a kite at age four. Totally failed on that one. Didn't even come close. But um, my story is I got into sports psychology because I absolutely love the field. And um, it was just the right fit for me. It was how do you um, allow everyone to thrive in sport, whether it be just really quality participation for a lifetime or whether it be how do we reach our highest level of performance? And that was just the space I was going to be in. And I'm a big geek on this. 
I, I knew this when I was in high school, for gosh sakes. Sports psychology was the path. I was sport agnostic. Then I went to get my master's degree at BU. And then all of a sudden, somehow I became a hockey guy pretty quick. So it was, um, it was actually, I, I can put the date on it. It's, it's funny how I put the date on it. It was the year after the Travis Roy accident. Oh, wow. So that's when I entered grad school at BU. And I remember going down to my first BU hockey game down at Walter Brown, because that was the main rink at that point. And it was phenomenal, right? I thought it was a fun barn. The place was packed. People were yelling mean things at college kids. I'm not sure that's the right thing to do, but it was definitely an energy. I was like, okay, this is a space I should be in. So I got my master's degree in that first year. Um, and then I stayed there to work on my doctorate. And in that first year of my doctorate, Len Zykowski, a good friend, mentor of mine, um, who's been around hockey forever, Canadian, for God's sakes, I, like most of my friends at this point in my life, I'm guessing, walks in one day, gives me a bunch of transparencies, right? So remember the old transparencies, you put them on, you write on them, they're all worn out. He goes, here, this is the USA hockey presentation for the level three clinic, go do it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm like, hockey, I could really make a fool of myself in front of these people pretty quick. And it was funny. I remember going through them like I get all the topics. So this must have been 1997 at this point. So I just dated myself I, I, on my USA hockey coach ed years. <laughs> and I remember that then there was this gentleman, Peter Habrell, who's out at the USA OC now. He's an Austrian guy that's a hockey guy. He sat down and goes through it with me. He goes, no, no, you can't screw this up too bad. I'm like, okay. The clinic was at Northeastern um, before Northeastern had renovated its um, coach's offices. I remember walking in, there's a little guy at a table. Say, hey, great to see you, Adam. This is terrific. And he started talking like Jack Parker was my buddy. Let's remember at this point, I'd barely been hockey at all, right? I owned hockey transparencies for God's sakes. So I'm like, okay, if I let him know, I don't know Jack, I'm going to look like a fraud but I don't want to lie. So I was just like, Jack's a really great coach. I remember I hustled right by the table. <laughs> he gave the talk. No one booed at me. They asked good questions. And I think I was invited back to do five more since, um, five more in that same year. So that's how I became a hockey guy. Um, I've got to admit, it, it, it's funny because I genuinely mean it. I know more hockey people than other people at this point. I've been had the opportunity to work at college hockey at all levels, NHL, I worked up in the queue for a little bit because I thought, you know, to, if you want to get your um, if you want to get your stripes as a hockey guy, you better deal with Canadians that think they're the greatest in the world on ice, you know, because that's the only way to gain your chops when trying to learn how to work with people. So I don't know. That's a long story, but uh, that's how I became a hockey guy, and so, now I am one. That's awesome. So I have I have an interesting question for you on that. <laughs> Obviously, like you, you've been steeped in the sport a long time. Um, people always say that hockey people are different. Like hockey players are just, they're just kind of cut out of a different cloth. Do you, do you see that? You know, that's a, a funny question. So, okay. Every sport likes to think they're special for guys. <laughs> Everyone's a bunch of special snowflakes. Let's be honest. Now that I've said that though, and offended probably all of my friends, um, I will say this and, and there is a reason. So I, I've, got a luxury i can work in a lot of different sports at this stage of my life i genuinely enjoy the people hockey there's no doubt about that um Topher, you met me i think it was a year ago at a usa hockey clinic and i keep showing up because the people are genuine humans they really i do think care about kids i think um 
let's be honest, every second word is, is starts with F, but you know, we'll all figure that one out. It's a noun, <laughs> adjective, and verb. All caring people that are trying to do the right thing. Um, I, I, hockey people are good, good folks, right? It's that great work ethic. And um, the prima donnas are, you know, only in Montreal. <laughs> if you're going to throw daggers, what's the worst sport to work with then? Let's keep oh, the daggers going. God, let's see this going. If I'm or gonna the hardest. Daggers. I don't want to say worst. Hardest, hardest to work worst. with. Um, okay. It's actually, I just re-entered it in quarantine somehow because I hadn't worked in this sport a handful of years. Figure skating is interesting. Figure skating. Hmm. And I'm going to put it this way, and it's, you'll never, I'm never a point finger at parents thing. I don't think sports parents are bad. I don't think sports coaches are bad either. I think everyone means to do well, but I think we get in our ways when we're caring figure skating. Cause let's face it. We're asking very young ladies that like 10, 11, 12 to act like adults. And then we surround them early by a gazillion coaches, right? You got the choreographer, you got the skating coach, you got the fitness coach for God's sakes. You get me sometimes you get the parent. It's just an environment that bubbling with stress and also bubbling with, you know, competitiveness that isn't healthy. Like, look at her, look at her. How can I be better than her? There's no collective competitiveness, which is what I really like in most sports. So I find that one really tough. Um, I've had wonderful experiences in it, but it's the stress of it can be daunting for anyone. Yeah. I want to piggyback off that because I think this is a really valuable topic to talk about. So I'll tell a story. So when I was coaching at Cornell, we had a kid who was a high, high draft pick, uh, really good kid, hard worker, um, you know, ended up playing in the NHL. Um, so we were had our individual meetings at the beginning of the year with, with all of our players to set goals and expectations and stuff. And, and uh, about 15 seconds into our conversation with him, bawling his eyes out, just, just crying, bawling his eyes out. And I can't even remember the question. I think it was like, we're like, I don't know what do you see this year as, or something like that, just something softball starts bawling his eyes out. So we're like, man, like what, like what's going on. And the pressure that he felt to have to perform, this is in August, like we're, we're two months away, three months away from anything even really mattering. And so as we're kind of talking it through it with them, I, I kind of posed the question. I said, Hey, how many different people are in your ear right now? And so he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, how many different people are telling you what you should be doing, what type of player you should be, mm-hmm. all of this different kind of stuff? It was nine different people. There was the parents, there was the coaches, there was the agent, there was uh, the NHL team that he was drafted by. And so he's like, he was just, he felt so much pressure from everybody to, for him to make it that you know, it was, it, he bawled his eyes out 15 seconds into our conversation. And I think that's something that is, it's a real problem for our kids today. And you mentioned it earlier, like they're getting treated like pros earlier and earlier, and you got so many people in their ear. I, I actually want to pose the question to the, let's call them the support group of these kids. Mm-hmm. You know, what is maybe some advice you have for whether it's the parents or the coaches or anybody that's involved in youth sports that have an impact on these kids, what are some things that you should be mindful of as you're shepherding these kids through the process? Gosh, that's a really big question. I can take it in so many different directions. Um, I think first, the, the, the slightly fresh side of me likes to throw out there, everyone's a darn expert, and that's not terribly helpful. 
right? Right. As a player, and you know, you guys have experienced it as players, as coaches, people that care about athletes. Everyone's going to decide where you're supposed to go, who you're supposed to be, and what jersey you're supposed to wear. So honestly, on that college path, you know, I've worked with some players recently. Everyone goes, "Well, you're a D1 guy," and the kid's like, "I don't think I need to be or want to be a D1 guy." So think about the pressure there, right? They're all of a sudden you're supposed to be something you don't feel you need to be. So I think there's that. I think the other piece that I'm hearing a little bit in your question um, really has to do with a lot of times when we give a kid a compliment, it actually leads to distraction or pressure. And some of this goes back and Topher, I know you're really well read and Jeff, I know how thoughtful you guys are about this stuff. It goes to Carol Dweck's mindset stuff. You know, one of, one of my clients the last couple of years was a first round draft pick. And that was almost the worst thing possible for his stress because <laughs> he felt he had to live up to that. When actually the reality is he was a first round draft pick, not because he had to live up to that, just because the honest effort he'd given. Now just keep doing what you're doing and you're going to live up to your potential. But so often we give kids these compliments or say, you should be this, or you should be that. It creates a confinement rather than energy. And I think we want to be careful with how we compliment kids and also how we tell them who they're supposed to be. Well, then what's the, what's the right way or a better way to, to give a kid a compliment then? Or, and, and what do you mean by, like, what is, can you give the right way and the wrong way or the wrong way first and then the right way? Yeah, you know what? And I am. I'm going to go back to the playbook. And so many people have heard about Dweck's mindset stuff. And they've, they've frankly, they've only read the PDF that says fixed versus growth mindset. Let, let's dig in for a second here, right? Yeah. So say you've got a kid. It's one of my favorite things I share in parent presentations is you say, congratulations, you're going to be as good as Sidney Crosby. It's a compliment. It's a compliment, right? It's a well-intentioned compliment. But if you dig into the psychology of its subtlety, subtly, over time, if you're not careful, that kid's going to be like, God, if I don't look like Sidney Crosby, I'm a failure. As opposed to a compliment would be like, hey, you know what? You worked really hard out there on the ice today, loved your curiosity. Maybe you'll get to go someplace with this game. Right. So all of a sudden it's harnessing around stuff they can control and do all day long. It's um, I have some of them on my parent presentations where people laugh when they look at it closely. You look at a goalie, go, congrats. You're so awesome. You made that save without even looking. Great. You just told a goalie that you shouldn't look and make saves for God's sake. <laughs> right. right? It's like, like, like it was supposed to be a compliment and we screwed it up. Um, the word talent. You know, it's such a great compliment to call our kids talented. I can't tell you how many times I've been on the phone with a family that I'm always stunned. I don't think I'm there to work with 12-year-old kids. I'm really not, right? Like, that, that's, a, that's a either you've created a problem or you're spending your money the wrong way. I'm supposed to work with teenagers all the way through retired athletes. But a parent will call up and say, hey, my 12-year-old kid's really anxious. Um, I think they can work with you. They're really smart. So good, we labeled them talented right off the bat. I'm like, they're still 12, for gosh sakes. And secondly, they're so talented. And I'll usually listen longer, right? Because that, that's how I'm trained, and that's what you should do. Is you should listen before you come to the answer. And the more and more they talk, they keep going, I tell him he's talented. I tell her she's so gifted. I'm like, that's why they're stressed. You're pumping the tires the wrong way. Tell them, you are awesome. You busted your butt out there today. Terrific job. Your last shift looked as good as your first shift right? I just taught consistency. So you're layering this stuff that's really meaty. You know, we should absolutely compliment kids, but the pumping the tires stuff actually goes sideways. Does that answer the, the question? 
It's kind of like, um, and this is a pretty ridiculous compliment or, or, or uh, comparison, but like, I, I always find it funny when somebody like the first compliment they give, like me being a guy and interested in women, the first compliment guys give a woman is, Hey, you're so hot. Or like, you're so beautiful. It's like, that. that's not really anything. Like you, like you said, you said layers, there's no meat. And that's kind of what a state like, mm-hmm. like, okay, but like, all right, like that's not going to last forever. And you know what I mean? So it's like, I, I totally understand what you're saying and, and it's the verbiage, it's how you set it up. And it's, it's not, um, I'm trying to think of what I want to say here because I, I totally understand what you're saying. And I see, I've seen so many parents do that. And I'm, I'm literally thinking about all these kids I've worked with and the parents who say what they say to their kids all the time. And now it's kind of like a light bulb clicking off. Like, Oh, that's exactly what he's talking about. I'm going to riff off this because I liked how you said there's no meat, right? So, so maybe together, the three of us, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to bastardize good science here or something, right? <laughs> like how often do we use compliments or how often do we use language where there's no meat on that bone for gosh sakes? Right, right? right. The kid comes off the ice and you go, nice job. You won the game. As if the kid didn't, wasn't able to look at the scoreboard and know what happened, right? That, that's like the McDonald's of compliments to me. <laughs> it's like, right. It's a toast. We're talking about goal setting. So we're going to pivot this a little bit towards goal setting. To me, it's, if you sit down with um, a player at the beginning of the season, and say, what's your goal for the season? And they're like, oh, to be the most valuable player in the league. Like, Thanks a lot, captain. Obvious. Of course, your job is to be the best player you can be. Right. If I'm sitting down, I, I like to tease Ivy league kids. Cause it's fun. I think I have a decent sense of humor. So go for one of your Cornell players. They sat down before a game. I said, Hey, what's your goal for today's game? And they go, to score a goal and they're a forward, I'd be like, thanks a lot, Captain Obvious. Not exactly <laughs> Ivy League thinking. Not a lot of meat on that bone, right? What about something about I'm going to cr- attack the crease, I'm going to pop in and out of the seams, I'm going to grind it up in the corners. There's some meat on that bone. It's not Captain Obvious. So I like that. The meat on the bone compliments. That's what we're going to say. What do you think, Jeff? Well, I mean, that just totally made me think of something that I say to all the kids, like if any or any players I talk to, whatever they're playing on the weekend, when the weekend's over, I talk to them Monday or Tuesday. I'm like, how'd you play? The first thing everyone tells me is their points. And the first thing I say is, I didn't say how many points did you get? I said, how did you play? And that's I every time. And I like it's clockwork. Kids are always, I got two points. And I go, that's not what I asked. You could have two points and be terrible or I could have. The vice versa. So, very interesting. And you just nailed my favorite one, right? Asking how do you play? It's such a coachable moment, too, isn't it? Because when they tell you how many points they got if they scored, you just illustrate. You get to pivot and build that great mindset by going, "No, that's not what I asked." And sure, you care about that, but that's not where you're going to focus, especially if you want those things to happen. Um, That is my favorite line. How did you play? And, And we're all humans on this call, so it's always funny athletes I work with, they got, get pretty good at that dialogue. So they'll call me up on Monday or Tuesday. And I always remember they'll go, Hey doc. Well, you know, I was really great gap control on D and this and that they talk all that stuff. And I'm sitting there like 15 minutes later going, did they win? I hope they went one. <laughs> if they didn't win, I look like an idiot. So like you want to actually make someone a little bit uncomfortable because you're not given that answer as an athlete. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's so interesting. So when we talk about like the meat of the compliments, I feel like at the younger ages, especially a lot in youth hockey, I feel like a lot of the compliments come from no meat, which means talent. 
You know, like you, I, you even look at it. I mean, this is a perfect thing to talk about right now. The stick 68, Adam, do you know what the stick 68 is? I've seen bits and pieces of it. Yeah. So the, you know, the freaking the invites just came out uh, the other day. So there's a ton of people mm. that are all pissed off. Like the stick 68 are picking kids that are talented, right? Like they can say that, oh yeah, that we judge it by character and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff and yada. yada. No, it's like the, the most talented kids are going. So already like kids are getting tiered from a talent standpoint at 14 years old nationally, 100%. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So uh, Jeff, we should like start like a six stick 68 where we just take like the, the hardest working kids, you know, oh. like just, just send us, send us your recommendations of just the hardest working kids. I don't care how much talent they have. And let's just have a camp for three days and we'll make it better. You know, let's, let's go. The think tank 68. <laughs> they got to send in video of like, yeah. you know, just them working really hard or whatever. But you know, it's one of those things where like Adam, it kind of ties in with like, the, the comparative culture. And I know that's something that you talk about where kids are being ranked and tiered and, you know, it's, it's all over the internet at, at, at such a young age. Now, is that something that you're seeing in the sports psychology field that is, you know, it's a big issue. I, I guess, I guess the, I could say yes. I guess the way I think about it is part of my background training is to take a developmental look at things. So when I hear that, I often think about coaches and scouts and us as a community being accidentally lazy, right? Because we're just selecting the tallest kids or the biggest kids, right? We can always go, we can go back to the birth year research everyone likes to cite, right? All that says is if someone's born early in the year, they're going to be taller. If you're going to be taller, you're going to play better at that age. So to me, it's about how do we have this creativity and patience to step back and go, hey, is that kid giving solid effort? Do they have decent hockey IQ? And they're good enough to improve. Um, in a lot of ways, if we look at the developmental literature, and I wrote on this years ago, I, some academic journal, I had an opportunity. I, I'll never forget because I loved it. They said, I always considered myself a fake academic when I was, at, when I was on faculty. I was like, I don't want to do the hardcore research. But some journal called up and said, write on whatever you'd like. And I wrote on long-term athlete development. I was like, okay, to do this, they'll look respectful. You got to have a lot of citations and real research. So I totally dove in. And something that stood out to me was two studies. And I wish I could cite them perfectly for you. So this was probably around 2002, I want to say, when I was doing this piece of work. And we have to remember, we haven't changed genetically grossly since 2002. Let's be honest, right? One thing was many Canadian Olympians that won medals never won a world-class event as a junior. So be careful what you wish for. One, there was another one out of the Soviet system. Let's face it, Soviet systems are good to look at because they monitor their athletes' birth to death, poke and prod them well, like probably the, the most rigorous science out there. And one study found that if someone won an international competition at the age 16, they didn't repeat after that. Like oh, that goes for Canadian when, hockey? Oh, so it was all athlete. It was all okay. so it wasn't the, and again, if you think Olympic sports, so this is gonna sound bad. I don't think people are often looking at the major sports when they look across Olympic sports, right? Because Canadian hockey, hockey is it's a bunch of pros playing. So it's a kind of a different beast than this normal developmental model. Okay. Um, and perhaps even more so is the Russian one that really struck me is if you win something internationally age 16, you might have already peaked. 
I used to share this data in a parent talk and you should hear the gasps like, oh God, right? Be careful what you wish for. And I think as you got me riffing on this idea a little bit, and this is where I'll go back to the BU years and a guy like Jack Parker. If you look closely, I really think you watched those players develop while they were at BU. You know, yeah, of course, BU's on the jersey, you can get top recruits, but you'd also watch guys turn into, you know, I, I, I can, I can um, name shame him here, my, my, my friend Colby Cohen. He'll admit he didn't know how to play D until he left BU because he went in thinking he was a forward, for God's sakes. You know, even though they kept telling him he was D, he was on the wrong side of the ice most of the time. But he will say he developed that skill because he was there. Right. And I think really great coaches understand that they don't want the perfect product their freshman year. They want the perfect product their junior year, maybe their senior year. We're in a day and age where, you know, those super high end guys are leaving after the junior year. But I think be careful. Again, you got me babbling every which way. Be careful what you wish for. If your kid looks great at 12, you screwed up. If you got the perfect team at age 12, it means you're not having the messiness of player development going on there. Ooh. That was the meat right there. That was the meat, (laughs) that last sentence. (laughs) Good. Take it, run with all day long. Because I think it's true. Gosh, if a 12, 13, 14-year-old team looks perfect, they're winning everything, that scares the heck out of me as a development guy. Yeah. that's such I want messiness. That's such an interesting point. And even those studies that touch on having so much success at such a young age, it almost goes to how important, like, intrinsic motivation is because now you're winning these – these medals or you winning these championships or trophies and then all of a sudden you think you're you're good and but the best players in the world they they always have that little bit of uncertainty of how good they like they have the confidence for sure like they're supremely confident in their abilities but at the same time there's a little bit of like hesitancy where it's like i always just want to get better absolutely well that makes me want to ask because you you know tof you're asking him about um tryouts and 14 year olds being nationally ranked and someone in your field like how do you feel about that because you know a lot of people older hockey people you know talk about like for lack of a better term like the wussification of like the next generation and like sometimes they're too into feelings and Toph and I are like you know you got to change with the times but I have seen a little bit of mental toughness kind of leaving um, younger players a little bit. So like, do you think some of these things where it's like, no, we shouldn't have them do tryouts. We shouldn't rank them. Like what, what's the right way to go there? And is there a right way? Um, so, so I like this. Um, one, I don't think getting rid of tryouts or any of that stuff is necessarily healthy, right? This is like, you're almost going back to on that statement, the old, no scoring leagues and this and that. So everyone feels totally safe. I actually think when we talk about all this stuff, it's about parents, responsible adults and responsible mentors to help develop um, this resilience and mental game, right? If, if we manufacture leagues without tryouts, then no one's going to learn how to try out, but it's also our responsibility as adults to run those tryouts on the up and up in a reasonable manner. So I think there's this pressure of it's not taking, gosh, the worst thing we can do is take challenge away from our kids. So a phenomenal book I'll I'll recommend to everyone. I was probably dropping this book last year is The Coddling of the American Mind um, by Greg Lukianoff and John Haidt. And John Haidt's a social psychologist. Lukianoff is a lawyer. And the title's catchy. 
But the title's not meant about this wussification or snowflake thing. The subtitle is the important piece. And they, the subtitle is something along the lines, I'm not going to get perfectly right, is how a, gener how, how a generation of well-intentioned ideas led a generation astray. Right? This idea of takeaway scoring, takeaway cheering. We need healthy challenges in our kids' lives. We don't want challenges that crush them. Right? So the abusive coach is still garbage. It was 20 years ago and is now. Abusive coaches, lazy, don't fit. A league without, um, especially when you get to that age of 12, 13, 14, where there aren't some kids that are riding the bench a little bit longer at times. There aren't tryouts that don't force these healthy challenges. That fails our kids as well. The parent, frankly, the parent that bounces from team to team until they get accepted on a team, I think that's, honestly, I think it's parent abuse by coaches in some ways because I'm just going to take your money and, say I'm going to let your kid play. Also by a parent, we're robbing our kids of challenges. There is, how would I think about it? Okay, so one of my big focuses is kind of juniors through professionals. So if I think college, having a sit on the bench in college is going to happen for most players. They're going to lose ice time that they thought they once had. And if we don't build the resilience, they go sideways pretty quickly. You have to be willing to struggle like that, you need a culture around you that doesn't tell you to transfer right away, right? You guys know this well. I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in in October with a freshman at, so I'm a, I got hockey East bias. I live out here, right? Where that freshman saying with me going, I'm not getting ice. I should talk to my advisor and I should transfer. I'm like, holy mackerel, right? That bums me out because someone failed them along the way. Because if you did your homework to find a reasonable fit, a reasonable fit, not a perfect fit. You know, high levels of hockey are challenging. If you found a reasonable fit, you should not be thinking you're going to throw the green smoke, hop on the Huey and get out of there you're in October, your freshman year. You got to at least get yourself all the way to April to know what the whole experience was like. So to the parents listening, what should a guy like Topher, who's running a, an entire AAA organization now, what should he be saying to the parents at the beginning of the year of, hey, your kids are going to struggle this year and I want yeah. them to like, what can he, is there some kind of my ninja? Because we say this <laughs> stuff that. all the time and we're just always like, we want them to struggle. We want them to battle. Like that's what we, it's learning resiliency. It's learning yeah. how to believe how in just, yourself. How about just honesty? Yeah. yeah. You know, like just coming out with it and just saying, Hey, look, this is something we believe in. We want our kids to be challenged. That's what we expect of our coaches. And then giving the coaches the necessary tools to, to be able to do it because some coaches don't know how. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think you just kind of said that, right. And I think, Hey, when you start the question, so this is going to be the, the shameless kindness. So, so Topher does this because he runs a good program. He knows how to preach this, right. This is, I've heard him speak. I think someone goes back to what we've been playing around with here helping find a language that's not just the same old stuff that people tune out, right? Just trust us, dude, dot, 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 dot. Preaching actually isn't teaching, right? We even know the science of that, right? Preaching doesn't make something stick. But helping frame it so it can fit their worldview is the thing that matters, right? You and I, we started playing around with the, what's the meat on the bone language? So all of a sudden, now it's like, okay, meat on the bone language. That resonates. Um, as I said, my parent thing, it's always like, hey, you know, do we care about what the kid looks like this year? Do we care about what they look like, you know, when they're hanging out in college? Hmm. You know, this line of, oh, doesn't messiness look like learning? 
right? Putting that one in. Um, I have a colleague that talks about this idea of struggle and he'll, he'll look at his athletes and say, do you enjoy watching a blowout or do you enjoy watching a close game? Most people, uh, it's a blowout if it's my favorite team, but other than that, I'd rather watch a close game. So then my buddy will step back and go, then you better start to learn the guts to live in close games, right? So I think finding these analogies for someone to grab onto is actually the key because preaching off the same old script forever, your true believers will jump on board. People that aren't ready to jump on board at all will never jump on board, but you're not going to get the middle, right? You want to pull the middle of the people on board by framing it up, by going, hey, trust me, look at this. Um, Coming up with great examples, right? I've been really lucky. Again, it's self-serving. Guys that work with me want to get better, but so, so it's public knowledge that I work with Northeastern. So I've been there eight years now. So all of their guys have typically sat down with me because they want to learn, grow and learn. So it's like, oh God, I see over the shore. So number eight, number eight wasn't, you know, that well loved his freshman year in high school, right? God, that was a small guy, undersized. For God's sakes, Hobie Baker winner and going to have a nice career with Vancouver, right? Because he saw the journey, you know, families, great family that encourages struggle. I remember bumping his dad at the rink. He's go. Yeah, you know, Adam's doing something wrong. I'm not going to fix it. He's going to have to figure it out. It's like, I was like, really? Did he just say that? Because because <laughs> if things go sideways, that's a draft pick. That sounds lucrative to screw up. And he was like, no, no, no. That's how you grow and learn. It's like, awesome. Pretty special, right? But again, it's a, it fits the family. It's a, a great, good, great hockey family, right? Great hardworking hockey family. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I want to piggyback off that because Jeff and I talk all the time about how resilience is one of the most important things that you can have. And if you've seen me talk and seen my presentation, it's literally the first thing I talk about and how important it is, not just from an individual standpoint or from a team standpoint. But one of the things that I think is next on the list um, of a necessary quality to to have as a person or a, a player, if you want to get to where you want to get to is passion. I think you have to love what you do and you have to have passion for what you do. So I've really been trying to ask a lot of questions and read a lot and and really just dive into the research about how to develop that passion. So having you on on the podcast right now, um, what what would you say to that? How important do you think passion is to, you know, to development and, and how do you, how do you feel like you can go about instilling that in kids as a parent or a coach? Yeah, um, it is a great point, right? It's um, so it, it is so important, so many levels. So I'm going to try and be somewhat organized here in my thinking. So everyone's heard, ten years, ten thousand hours of quality practice gets you to excellence. So I take I'll take a few liberties with that research and say that sounds good. People always hear have quality practice. I'll tell you what I hear. I go build a player that's willing to hang out for ten years. Right? If you don't have genuine passion or intrinsic motivation, you're not going to hang out working hard for 10 years. And everyone's trying to break that. It takes a long time to get there. So if there isn't that fire, they're not going to hang out that long. They're going to hit the adversity and run away. So I think that's one important note. I think another thing I always play around with, and it's again, me being kind of the scientific geek in me says, we so often talk about kids are supposed to have fun. I'm all in on that. But there's a twist. I always say they actually should have enjoyment. And there's a scientific reason. If we get a little geeky in language, some people discount fun because fun sounds like it's frivolous, right? Fun. So if you, you go back and look at that researcher, Chek Me, who does flow, says fun is hedonistic, right? Fun is a, 
is a frozen drink with an umbrella. And guess what? Developing as a hockey player is not fun like that. Is that fair, guys? Right? Like it, it's not sitting on a beach at all times. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless you get traded to a warm climate and you get to go to work in flip flops. I've heard that from many people going, why in the world was I playing hockey in Canada when I could have played in Florida? But that's, a, that's a whole different stage of someone's career. But enjoyment has this internal drive that likes, you know, having that D man hang on you as you crash into the offensive zone. You kind of light up about that emotion right? It's that goaltender that actually likes the chaos in front of them in, in the crease going, hey, it's not a nice clean setup, but I can make this save. So I think we have to re, rejigger fun a little bit and say it's about this enjoyment and struggle is enjoyable because think about it. The D-man that carries the puck that has been forever told not to carry the pucks because they don't want to turn it over. So I call it defenseman's disease. They're afraid to carry the puck. Right. So they start carrying it and they know they can. And then they move the puck successfully. That was scary to do a little bit for them, but it was so much fun when they did it. Right. Being able to perform bravely is actually true fun. So I'll go one step further, Topher, because I know you like to geek out on the science of it a little bit. Emotions are actually more important than our thoughts when it comes to the mental game. And Anthony Damasio, this researcher out there, termed this term emotional intuition which was really like, am I running towards challenge, right? That's what being a good athlete is. It's being able, when our gut gets a little bit squirrely going, I'm going to run towards this challenge. It's a healthy challenge. It's not stupid. It's something that makes me go, I'm not sure I can pull it off. But if you can have someone love embracing challenge, that's gold, right? I don't know if you guys play golf, right? That's the five, that's the four or five foot putt. It scares someone, but it's the putt you should want all day long. So true. <laughs> right? Like, that's not scary. That's the fun. You know four out of five times you can make it. But if we're building kids that love that appropriate challenge, you got a hockey player for life. You got so how do, you, how do you do that, though? How do you, how do you yeah. instill that in, in kids? Um, I mean, for me, as I listen to you yeah. talk, I, I, the one word that comes to my mind is competition. You know, yep. competition breeds both of what you're talking about, but what, uh, like if you're given, you're at your level five or level four USA yeah. hockey festival, and you're like, we got to teach these kids how to run to the challenge, which I think is amazing. Yeah. How, how do we do that? Well, I think there's two things, right? So one, I think we have to redefine challenge. Cause I think often in life, we think of challenge is bad. No challenge is absolutely essential. It's absolutely good. We also, if we redefine it, we're not talking stupid challenges. So if we take the golf example again, it's one of my favorite. It's like a live drill I do with people to understand the mental game. I could have them take a five-foot putt or a 10-foot putt. The 10-foot putt is not actually more challenging in my mind than the five-foot putt. The 10-foot putt's simple because you're supposed to miss it. So A, we have to redefine what challenge is, right? It's the goofy thing you do with your buddies. You go 25 feet away and go, I dare you to make this putt, and you know you're going to miss it. There's no stress there. But to re redefine challenges, this healthy risk is important, right? For your youth hockey team, so I don't know, say 14-year-old kids, to go, wouldn't it be a cool challenge to play against, you know, pick your glamorous college of choice? That's not a challenge, that's just exciting because you can play with big kids, but there's no mental stress there. But to say, hey, we're going to take our 14-year-old team, we're going to line them up against a team with the exact same skill set. That's the right challenge. Because I think I can win, but I'm not sure I can. 
So redefining what challenge actually is is so critical. Applause. Uh, raised his hand so politely. <laughs> so polite for a guy missing a tooth, man. You're really off he's not, he's not usually that polite either. <laughs> oh, easy, bro. My I'm mom kidding. raised me right. Um, um, Tof, that totally reminds me of our podcast with Lewandowski. And he was saying, he brought up the really good idea of how we could use those uh, my hockey rankings that you and I personally don't like for a good way. Instead of just, Oh, we're so-and-so position. You play teams only plus or minus five from you or something throughout the year. Obviously that would be hard. Maybe the previous year, whoever knows there'd be a way to figure it out, but that's kind of what you're saying. Like make it that challenge for the kids eat one-on-one equal on equal kind of thing. Yeah, you know, this is, I don't know if it's going to blow people's minds or sound stack religious, but I've said to teams, I think a perfect season is a 600 record. I say that to get people thinking, (laughs) right? Because I get that, you know, if you can dominate all season, that's pretty cool. But if you have a 600 record, it means you were playing against the right opponents and you won more than you lost. Like that is the the league one should want to be in. And frankly, it's kind of a Zenish thing. If you can take that mindset in, guess what? You're more likely to have what looks like a real perfect season because that means you're enjoying and embracing that challenge because you're willing to be standing there with one man to go in a tie game. You know, you're, you know, I, I think about like, I've been blessed to work with so many good players that I'm like, yeah, I know with a minute left, they're going to stand in the crease. Somehow the puck's going to bounce off their butt and go into the goal. They're just going to stand there. That's what they're going to do with one minute to go because it's just like they're happy to be in that situation. They're not going to do anything weird. They're not going to commit a weird penalty. They're going to be like, cool, this is what we do. We hang out close. And it goes to that idea of competition you threw out there, Jofer, right? They see competition as something that lifts them up as opposed to being divisive, right? They look across the ice and they go, okay. Bring it. (laughs) Bring it and I'm in this with you. I had a philosophy professor undergrad that said the highest level of competition is friendship because if that person doesn't try and kick your butt you can't play up to your potential and now think about that for a second if i have that mindset i never fear an opponent they're only there helping me all day long it's tough to do as humans though because we like to our egos are on the line yeah that's what i would say to the teams i played on and as well as the last two teams years i've coached i said if you're willing to do this to your brother what are you going to do to your opponent when you play him on the weekend and that was our whole i mean we fought I've talked about on the podcast. I got in more fights in practice and juniors than I did in the next like 15 years of my career because the culture there was we are going to battle each other so hard that when we battle against non-teammates, we're going to rip their heads off. And so, you know, that was the thing. But I wanted to ask you a question because, I mean, like I said earlier, Tof and I, we were always hammering home like all these points you're saying, you know, like the idea of the 600 season and, and wanting to struggle. USA Hockey is pushing that stuff too. Like struggling is okay. And like, let's get better. We're focusing on development. Tof and I are saying it. All the high level yeah. people, quote unquote, are saying it. But we're still seeing so many parents not really like believing us or or taking it in and running with it is there something that we or usa hockey or whoever is talking can say to parents to get this through yeah so this is a giant question in so many ways right so i'll go back to the line i use preaching is different than teaching right right? because i can tell you even just even in my early years in sports psychology right i'd walk into a room there oh you're the guys that's going to tell me to think positive 
So all of a sudden, when we've been preaching something too long, we've created these schemas that almost polarize, right? You got the bunch that are always in and the bunch that will always be out. Um, so I, I think we have to remember that for starters. I also think we're talking, it's not just parents. We have to think systemically here, okay? So if I were to think about a system, if I were to start with parents, we have to continue to be a sounding board and a resource to them so they can have the bravery to not walk into bad situations, <laughs> right? Like there, there's a whole line of research. If you look at it, I'd argue some of what some organizations do could be called parent abuse, right? Your kid won't make it if you, if you don't sign with us. What parent in their right mind is going to not take that bait by accident because you want the best for your kid? So I think we have to continue to empower parents to be brave enough to walk away from things, which is so difficult because there's such a, a dialogue out there that's all screwed up. Like I always talk about it. Remember the telephone game as a kid where you talk and you go around in a circle. I think a rink is like the telephone game. Like uh, dad one says to mom two, I think we might sign Johnny up for a hockey camp this summer. And then it goes around the rink. And by the time it gets around the rink, it's so-and-so will never make it in life if he doesn't go to Joe Schmo's skills campus. <laughs> okay. It's like, whoa, that's not what was said. So I think there needs to be this ability to help parents be um, strong enough to let their kids struggle and strong enough to say no. One, I think there is a challenge. Hey, I'm, I'm a realist in all the work I do, right? There's money in youth sports right now for a lot of people. And I think we have to really continue to help coaches get to be better coaches and not just the volunteer ones, right? So Topher, right, all the USA hockey stuff, that's volunteer coaches. Everyone's there for the right reason most of the time. But now you have coaches that accidentally aren't growing a lot, right? That, well, I played once, so I know this. Or, hey, I own this, this club team or this junior team. Or even, you know what? A lot of college coaches, they got a job without getting a, some sort of master's degree in education or psychology or whatnot, right? And then accidentally, I think about it this way, if you're a coach and you're supposed to have an ego, it's easy to not go and try and learn more because you're supposed to look strong in front of others. And to me, this is this cool behind the scenes thing that I think is happening with all the best coaches out there. They're starting to talk together and learn and grow, right? And that's the best coaches, the ones that are saying, I'm going to keep learning, I'm going to keep growing. Um, we all have names and friends of mine that we talk to a lot. Honestly, that we talk to them because they're curious about growing. Um, and I think that's something we have to remember is coach education. There's a real buyer beware we have to help with parents. Right, because coaches say, oh, that's nice, but I'll give my, your kid a lot of playing time. Trust me, I'll get him where he wants to go. You know, the responsible coach says, I'll give him a fair amount of playing time. I'm not going to bury him. And I'm not going to give him all the ice in the world. But no one wants to hear that, <laughs> right? No one wants to hear my kid's going to get buried, and no one wants to hear I'm going to get fair ice time. And then a coach panics and gives a kid way too much ice time sometimes, or the vice versa. So I don't know, you, you, Jeff, you got me riffing every which way because I think it's a systemic challenge. I think at the top, we got to be better educators, right? Um, USA Hockey has been a leader on coach education and it's still getting there, frankly, right? It, it's ahead of other sports, but every year it's getting a little bit better, but we need to have good approaches to education, not just preaching. Yeah. You know, preaching's inspirational, it's not teaching. 
It's so interesting, Jeff. I don't remember if we, the last podcast or two, if we talked to first about it, but you know, one of the things that I'm struggling with, I come in and I took over this hockey organization a couple months ago and with all the right intentions and want to preach development, 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 development. And it's so funny to hear you talk about the preaching versus the teaching, because I feel like now that I'm reflecting and if I'm being self-critical a little bit, it's a lot of like, talking about the development, all about the development. And we, I, I think we might've asked first, or maybe it was somebody else facts is like development's not sexy, you know? Yeah. So like the, the intentions there in, in talking about development, but at the same time, is it preaching instead of like what you're talking about and being more creative with your message and things like that? Because to be frank with you, like I'm having a real tough time getting people to buy in to the things that I'm trying to sell when it comes to development. And people are very much going to the bells and the whistles. Like I came oh, in, God, like, Hey, yeah. I'm a, I'm a division one assistant coach. I got this hot think tank thing. All my information's out there. People are really going to want to come and, and be a part of it. And it has been the, like, if I'm being honest, it's been the exact opposite. What am I doing wrong to, and this, I mean, it's, it's hearing you talk at him is really making me reflect about, Scratching his oh, head oh, pretty I, heavy there. I know, like I'm sweating. Um, <laughs> he's going to have, gonna have no said, eyebrows left. Yeah, You said something that I think is important there, right? As we think about the nuances is you're preaching development. And I think as humans, we like to polarize and make things black and white. I don't think development's exclusive to winning, but people see it that way. Well, that's a development league or that's a league that plays to win. That's insane to me. That's absolutely insane. That's like, I remember... Now I'm dating myself 20 years ago at some talks where it was, you're either an elite league or you're a rec league. I'm like, well, the rec league probably should be a little bit more serious or we're, we're, we're failing kids, right? Those kids should actually get to learn something. And the elite league should actually be able to have a little fun, crazy. And I think we think about it as an either or phenomenon, which is ridiculous, right? I can come up with so many examples. My step back on it is, you actually always need to be developmental. You need to be. And I think about it this way. So one, and it, it was years ago. So that year that Northeastern finally got over the hump and won Hockey East for the first time in 28 years, if you pulled up on paper, if, if my memory served me right, they had the worst record in hockey all the way through December in college hockey. I think they had the best record in college hockey from January on. So guess what? That's development. You know, I go back to you mentioning again, become a student of the game. All those those years when I was on the BU campus and the Jack Parker years, those teams looked a little bit um, a little bit rough in the fall. Second, the spring rolled around. You didn't want any piece of them. Hockey is always development. It always should be. I'll go one step further, and this is where I throw it out there. You talk about how we use language to try and get people on board. Yeah, I'll say this early with any client, with any coach. I ask it, don't get me wrong. I care about winning. Because the more you win, the smarter I look. And it's all about me. My horrible joke in the first meeting. So if I thought jumping up and down, letting my hair on fire about winning all day long was going to get you to win a lot, I'd say it all day long. Right? If, if my players can't progress, develop life skills, and succeed, I'm kind of unemployed. <laughs> right? So if, if I thought that development didn't lead to success or someone achieving whatever goals they're allowed to get, right? I'd run away. I wouldn't talk development. To me, development is about winning. Yeah, Tove. 
I mean, I, I just come back to thinking about you and the decisions you and your parents made with CYA and Stan and, and all that stuff. Just the people who you get, you're going to make them so much better throughout the year. And I don't care if you beat the other teams in your city or not. The whole goal, as you know, is get all the kids who come better. And everyone's going to notice the difference between who got who started at the season on August 1st and what they looked like and what they look like by the end of the season because the ones at your level, AAA, they're trying to go to juniors, trying to go to college. Mm-hmm. None of the coaches care the team's records. They care about how each individual is progressing as they go. You're going to kill it. The yeah. other people are – yeah, I'll keep it's them it just No, but that's exactly it, right? You, you might not see it right in the moment, but kids are going to race the – the top you know again i don't know what you guys think about it. i go back to so over the years i got to know that was the ed snyder hockey foundation a bit right they started by just caring about kids and now they have competitive teams took a while but it's like they saw the course they committed to the course they trusted the course they were good ethical people that tried to do right by kids first and yeah then they got a few kids popping into college that wasn't the initial goal but it got there and you hear this about so many kids right the multi-sport athlete that ends up playing college sports um you know i i don't know i I could get going on this one all day long and again i think it's self-selecting all the players i've worked with that's who they are at their essence they didn't get there because of some team they were magically on at the age 10 they got there because they loved hockey they worked hard at hockey and they were curious the heck they're they're walking to college and they're not big time than me right think about the stigmas around sports psychology right they walk in they knock on the door you go okay doc how do I get better? That's what they ask me. They don't say I'm broken. Fix me. They go, how can I get a little bit better? That's a development mindset. And we're talking about the highest levels of hockey. How do I get better? What am I curious about? I love that. For me, for me it's the most exciting when you see a kid hit that switch. And then all of a sudden, everything changes. Yeah. And like me as a coach and as, in my own business as a strength coach, my number one goal is to help them find that switch to find that growth mindset, quote unquote, to get invested in themselves because once they do everything else takes off. It's so cool, right? You almost feel like you can get out of the way completely. You're like, yep. okay, you yep. know, just, I'm awesome. just going to hang on for the ride and, and nudge. I'm not going to overcoach. I'm not going to overteach. Right. Their energy lets us put up the guardrails for success as opposed to trying to put them at headlock and tell them what success is. That is a great analogy. I love that analogy. <laughs> external cueing. That's the way to go, man. External cueing helps so much. Internal does nothing for any of my clients, at least. Maybe I just got the wrong clients. <laughs> well, Adam, we've had you on here for a little bit, but there's one thing I wanted to ask you about, and this is coming from your, your research, one of the presentations that I saw and that I wrote down, and I think it's a really, really interesting dynamic, and that is balancing patience with passionate persistence. And that, that, like, when I read that, I was like, wow, that is just an awesome, awesome statement, but so incredibly hard to actually, (laughs) actually follow. Um, Because we always want the results right away. You know, like we always want to do, 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 get, 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 do, 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 get, get, get. But so often, I mean, you hear every coach talk about, you know, just get 1% better every day and Mm. not going to see the results right away. So like, how how do you do that? How do you balance that's, that's a tough yeah. question. I know it's very generic and you can probably go for ages yeah. and hours and we don't have that much time, I'm sure, to, to do yeah. that. But like, 
what, what does that quote mean to you? And, uh, and how can you explain that a little bit to us? Well, well first, gosh, I, I'm totally flattered. Like, did you know, Chef, he takes notes and everything, you know? Oh yeah. You, you're gonna I, give- I, I got two in my phone for me too, actually, that I, that were hot takes that I'm pretty excited <laughs> to use. Wow. wow. You know, Topher's gonna, you guys are gonna give hockey players a bad name, that level of note taking. <laughs> um, so I think the line is, I always say the goal center is um, patient persistence, right? So there needs to be this energy and there needs to be this willingness to give things a fair test of time. So honestly, first, and I know everyone loves their how-tos. It's going to sound so psyche, but being aware that that's actually the goal is the biggest how-to of it. Because then you can catch yourself when you're taking the bait of feeling like you need it right away. Um, knowing that that's the balance you're dealing with. I think good kids, I call it good kid syndrome, overwork and they forget the patience, but they fear if I'm patient, I won't get to my goal. I'm like, for God's sake, err on the side of lazy. You'll never get there. But then on the other side, the kids that usually don't probably walk into any of our offices, rinks or gyms are the ones that I'm like, okay, you're looking a little too patient. Can we get a little of that persistence thing going on? But that's where it comes to that passion of hockey. So I think awareness is the first thing. And Tover, you got me laughing. So I, in my office here, I, I'm surrounded by books. My favorite book of last summer was this book called Trying Not to Try. So <laughs> it, it, it's a great book, The Art and Science of Spontaneity. But that's the gold standard that's been around for ages, right? Because they go all the way back to Eastern thought is we want to try hard, but once we get rigid, we're in trouble. So I think that patient piece to me is attack things aggressively with a fair test of time in mind before you judge it, right? If you lose one game, don't judge yet. Play for two months before you decide the offense isn't working, right? How often have we heard in hockey? It's so funny. Like, it's comedy. You guys have been part of these dressing rooms. You've seen these dressing rooms where a player all of a sudden starts shaking his head going, oh God, if we just commit to the plan, we'll be fine. And you watch people panic and get off of the game plan in the blink of an eye. If you let yourself commit to the plan long enough to give it a fair test of time, you'll see if it's worth holding on to or throwing out. And you know what? Sometimes it's worth throwing out. But one shift isn't committing to the plan. One game isn't committing to the plan. Probably it's at least 10 games, 20 games. As humans, we take our feedback too soon. Develop your database and then jump. To me, patience is letting that database show up. And, and I get it. If someone's in a rush, guess what? Try this on for size. Give me a month. And then let's see where we're at. I do that on the mental game because the mental game is learning something new that's intangible. I'm like, why don't we give this a test for the next month and then check in with me? When I frame things as a test, it often lets people be more patient. Interesting. Yeah, Jeff, I actually had a really long conversation with Adam Nicholas about this the other day, just, you know, about doing something dip, some things differently from a hockey standpoint and not being so quick to rush to judgment on how it's going because it takes time. Like development takes time. Development of culture takes time. Development of skills takes time. Development of everything takes, takes time. And so, but it is in, in, a, in our results-driven business, whether you're honestly coaching the NHL or you're coaching youth hockey. Youth hockey is a results-driven business at times too, a lot of times. And so people get so quick to kind of throw the playbook out, like you say, when, when you get punched in the mouth for the first time. And, uh, mm-hmm. Or fix something when it's not broken, right? So this yeah. is the, hey, NHL players and coaches are humans as well. If you listen to sports radio and they're killing your power play, 
you're going to try and fix it. Maybe it wasn't actually broken. You just need to give it three more games. <laughs> you know, like once we get that self-doubt going in, we can over tinker, if you will. Right. So, so Jeff mentioned some of the motor development research on external focus. There's a lot on feedback, right? If someone's doing a lift, you don't want to correct them every single rep. They're going to be all over the place. Let them put in a bunch of reps and then you actually get to see who they are. But we, we tend to course correct a little, a little aggressively as humans. Some of it's out of fear. Some of it's out of cluelessness because we're not as great as we think we are. <laughs> That's so true. Well, Adam, this was, uh, this was awesome. I, it was so good to reconnect with you here and, uh, geez, I feel like we can go on for another yeah. three hours on this stuff and we'll, we're going to have to get you back on at some point because I don't think we're done with this conversation. <laughs> at least I'm not, you're, I'm not done with you yet. Um, but, uh, we appreciate you taking some time out of, uh, out of your day to, to sit here and talk with us. I think our listeners are going to get a ton out of, uh, out of this and on the note taking thing, Jeff and I, like to joke that uh, we judge our podcast guests based on how many notes I've taken throughout the episode. And I've got, I've got quite a few here. So I appreciate you taking the time. You're kind. It was a blast. It's an important conversation. I'm happy we, we even pushed some things forward. So I thank you both for adding some language to my attack. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. Preach, don't teach, get to the meat. Let's go. <laughs> there we go. That's it. Done. Mic drop. Love it. Uh, well, stay safe and stay healthy out there in Beantown. And uh, I'm sure we'll run into each other at some point. If we do have any of these USA coaches conference, uh, we can get into rooms with more than 10 people at the same time. soon. <laughs> I can't wait guys. Stay well. You too. Bye now.